for your power. Thank you for the cross that makes it possible for us to stand. We know that as we have sung already, our hope truly is built on nothing less than your blood and your righteousness. Would you now teach us from your word, help us to learn more about the generous heart of our most generous God and how that should impact our lives today. In your good name we pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open it up or open up your app on your phone, however you are looking at the Word of God with us this morning, and turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians, we'll actually look at chapter 8 and chapter 9, a couple of places in those chapters, and if you need help finding that, if you'll get to 1 Corinthians and get one more book over, you'll have it. You're welcome. Uh, all that seminary training just to let you know that. Second Corinthians. Now, I'll admit that uh, considering all the things that has been going on and taking place, I, I was kind of, you know, asking myself this week, you know, do I need to kind of uh, push through with these these Project Reach uh, messages. Or do I need to pause this week? What you know? The, the, how should we approach that? And uh, the Lord has used His Spirit and He's used some of you, in fact, to uh, kind of confirm uh, what uh, we should talk about today. And we'll stay with that theme. We we kicked off this exciting campaign last week that that we're calling Project Reach. And I just want to to remind you that there are are booklets that we want you to be sure you pick up if you weren't here. Last Last week, you can pick up these booklets. They are located on the uh, table that's out front. Uh, there are also some located on the table that's up in the balcony. If you're joining us online today, you can read it online, preferably not during the sermon, but you can read it online at fbcmilton.org slash project reach. And this is an initiative that uh, we began, uh, kicked off last week that is uh, leading us up to seeking to accomplish something fairly significant that we believe God has led us to do as a church family as we're going through a, a, a long-range plan and looking to uh, hopefully build a, a children's facility for children's ministry as we seek to reach up and glorify God by reaching out to our community and then reaching in as well and ministering to our family. And we talked much more in detail about the uh, reaching up, reaching out, reaching in last week, and I hope that you remember some of that or we'll go back and relearn some of that. But also in addition, to that is that tomorrow we kick off a spiritual growth emphasis because as we said all along, we desire this to be something much more than just some kind of building program or building campaign or, or capital fundraising campaign that we try to do for a building. And so when you leave today, if you're here on campus, when you leave today at that same table, there are going to be a couple of new pieces of information that we want you to pick up. Uh, one is going to be the spiritual commitment card. And again, this all starts tomorrow. It's 21 days, three weeks. We can do this for three weeks. It's a spiritual commitment card that just asks you to make some commitments in your spiritual life over the next three weeks. Those commitments involve praying for one minute a day. 
Come on. It's 60 seconds, all right? We want you to commit over the next 21 days that you pray at least one minute a day as well as read one Bible verse a day. It's a one-to-one challenge, okay? For 21 days, you're reading one Bible verse. Again, come on. We can do one Bible verse, and we can pray for one minute as well. That's part of that challenge. The other part of the challenge is that we would invite you to take a step further, and you can pick up this booklet that's called A Prayer Walk Through Philippians to where there is a devotion, again, starting tomorrow, one a day for 21 days. Pick this up, read the devotion. Randy Jackson, our associate pastor, has written this uh, devotion guide for us, and it's very easy to read, simple to read, to look through, to take from it what God has said in his word in the book of Philippians, to think on that for some devotional thoughts, and we want you to pick one of those up. I'll be emailing everyone in the church. If you're on our email system, you'll get an email later today, hopefully later today, weather and electricity and Wi-Fi signal permitting that uh, you'll get an email that has the electronic version of this as well. So you can go online. If, you, if you're joining us online today, you'll be able to go online to the website and read this devotion each day for 21 days. And then to really challenge your cause, we're Baptist. And the favorite thing for Baptists to do is what? Yeah, complain and eat. You're right. <clears throat> I added one of those. You got the other one. Uh, so the other part of this challenge is we're going to challenge you to set aside some time during these next 21 days to fast and pray. And fasting, sometimes, it most of the time involves food. It also involves other things as well. So there is a fasting and prayer retreat guide that you can kind of do on your own at your schedule, at your pace over these next 21 days. So when you leave here today, as you leave, be sure you stop at that table and pick up those three things, also the booklet, if you need to look at that as well. Ultimately, our desire through this Project Reach initiative is, in all sincerity, to reach up to God, to glorify God by reaching out to our community and by reaching in. And that project certainly involves a building. It involves a, a, our desire for a, a new facility that will provide ministry for all of our children, birth through fifth grade in one place under one roof instead of the three separate locations in which we're accomplishing that ministry right now. Uh, but it's not just about a building. We want to use that building. We want to use every building on our campus as a vehicle, as a tool to more efficiently and more effectively reach out to our community and reach in to our church family, which will ultimately lead us to reaching up to glorify God as we pray for God to expand his kingdom through our ministry and edify his church. That is our desire. And so when you pick up that booklet, you'll notice that in that booklet, there are a couple of, there's a page in there that talks about what we're asking. I would just ask you to look at that page, be sure you read it over, to pray with us, to accept this invitation to 
participate in Project Reach and to begin seeking the will of God to ask God how he would have you make a difference through your generosity to Project Reach. And it's got everything listed in there, all the, the uh, three-step uh, process, a three-step process that will give you more information about what that looks like. So I, I pray that you'll look at that, that you'll pray over that, and, and that you will uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about your participation in Project Reach. Now, on Sunday mornings, as we're thinking of this big idea of Project Reach and how it's to be accomplished, we are looking at how all of our life can be offered to God as a sacrifice, and, and we're looking at how we are indeed stewards of everything that God has given us. It's not just about our wallets, but it certainly includes them. I remind you that Jesus spoke more about the stewardship of our money and our possessions. He spoke more to that subject than he did any other subject when he was on earth. In fact, if you were to tabulate how much time he spent talking about heaven and hell combined, it was less time that he spent on those subjects than he does on the stewardship of what he has given us and how we're to use that for his honor and for his glory. As I shared with you last week, and I'll be sure to repeat for the next couple of weeks, is that if uh, you are sitting here listening to us and you're like, well, all that preacher ever talks about is money, that means that you've been here a total of two Sundays. <laughs> because this is Sunday number two that we're talking about this idea. The reason that Jesus spent so much time talking about our money, talking about our possessions, is that he knew that more than anything else, what we own, what we have, and how we use it is a barometer of who we feel and what we feel is really important. It's usually the most accurate way to see where your heart is and to see where the true kingdom of your affection lies. There seems to be two extremes when it comes to how we as believers feel about the, the perspective we have about uh, our money or about what God has blessed us with, our possessions. On one end of the, uh, the extreme are those who would say, you know, uh, we owe God this God tax. It's called a, a tithe. It's based on an Old Testament principle that 10% of what we have is given to God. And, and that is, now again, there's nothing wrong with that. What's the point I'm making is some people fall in position that that is not an act of worship. That's our God tax. And so when we fulfill our obligation, we give God that 10% that I can do what I want to do with the other 90%. That my obligation is to give God a little bit, what he asked for, a little tithe in the Old Testament, and then I can spend the rest of that out of however I want to do that. And, and the danger in that is that it, it doesn't surrender all of life to God. It can also become very legalistic. It can also become very mechanical. There can also become a, a, a season in our life when that's not done as an act of worship. On the other end of those extremes, 
would be the, the, those who think that every single thing, as long as there's someone who's lost in the world, as long as there's someone in the world who is less fortunate than us, that the only use of our resources is to be spent and used for those who are less fortunate or lost or, or that they are, uh, maybe they're, they're not blessed in the same way that we are. That's very noble. And that's, that's got some virtue behind it. The problem is, where do you stop with that? I mean, you can get very legalistic with that. I mean, you could change the thermostat at your house from 72 to 76 and use the spare change. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you could get very legalistic in how you approach that. And I, I think between those two extremes, I think God has given us some, some counsel in his word. If I want to be transparent with you this morning, I've spent time at both ends of the extremes, sometimes on the same day, sometimes even in the same hour. And uh, if we look at the entire counsel of God, I believe that he would have us to, to frame our perspective from what he has shared with us as far as how we are to be generous in our living. That's why we turn our attention this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. The Apostle Paul, in all of his writings, this is the most extensive instruction that he gives about followers of Jesus living from a generous lifestyle. He's writing it to a church to encourage them to live and give generously. So what I want us to do this morning is, as briefly as we can, scan over these chapters and let's just highlight the principles that Paul gives us. As a word of caution before we jump in and, and try to mow our way through this, we have to be very careful that we don't camp in any one of these principles at the expense of the other. Because if we do, we're going to be out of balance. We have to take them all together and seek to hold them in tension with each other and seek to have God apply them through his Holy Spirit in our lives as he leads us. Let's jump right in. Number one, the first principle is this about generosity and grace. Generosity is an extension of grace. Now, I won't spend a lot of time on this point because we spoke to this quite a bit last week as we looked at Noah's life. He received grace, and now we're living Noah's life as the rain comes. Uh, he received grace, and then he was a conduit of grace to others, that, that God gives us grace for our benefit, but not just for our benefit. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and, the, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the 
favor of taking part in the relief of the saints that is giving to, to help these saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Did you notice in those verses the connection between grace and generosity? There's a very clear connection that Paul's making that says our generosity is a reflection of the grace. It's an extension of the grace that God has given to us. Understand, the grace that we extend to others is not the same type of grace that God extends to us. God is a perfect God in whom grace originates. While we are imperfect people to whom grace is given and then extended. And one of the ways that we extend grace to those around us is through our generosity. Now think for a moment about what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God from a God who is not obligated to give it. Grace is all about the one who receives it, not the one who gives it. Now, when you think about the grace and generosity, y'all know what a humble brag is? Any of y'all experts at humble bragging? If so, you're about to not like me at all. <laughs> what it, when we think about this idea of our generosity being tied to grace, when our generosity is based upon grace, that means that I am generous even when I don't receive any benefit from the object of my generosity. That means that when I see someone who is on the side of the road, when I'm driving into Pensacola, I'm driving through Milton, and I see someone who has a sign about needing to work or needing to eat, and then when I, when I decide I'm going to go to McDonald's and buy that person a meal and, and I bring that meal, that, that means that I give that meal without any any idea of having any glory. I don't take a picture and say, look at how generous I am. That's not graceful. <laughs> that, that, that's a humble brag. And those two things don't go together. The generosity comes from a place of receiving grace. And some of you that, as you shared with me, some of you are going to sacrificially give. You're going to be generous to, to this project reach, and you don't have a child or a grandchild who will ever step foot in that building. That generosity, that is an extension of the grace that you have received. May we be like the believers at Macedonia. May God use our generosity in all areas of our life as an extension of his grace. For First principle, generosity is an extension of grace. Second is this. Generosity follows the example of Jesus. You see, as in all things connected to grace and generosity, Jesus is our example. Look at chapter 8 and verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now let me ask you, did Jesus give a tithe of his blood or did he give all of it? 
Oh. Now what that tells us is that our responsibility is more than just dropping off 10% and not worrying about what we do with the rest of our lives. If we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we are to offer 100% of our lives to him. We are to pour out our lives for him and for others just as he did for us. You see, God prospers us, and when he prospers us in any way, including financially, it's not just so that we can receive it and then go on our way. Think about this. God prospers us not to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. You see, God blesses us not just to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of, of giving. Now, don't misunderstand. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. I'm not saying that you need to go home today and sell everything you have and send it overseas. Now, if God tells you to do that, go do it. But I'm not saying that that's what the Bible says every single person must do. In fact, Paul writes a letter to his young protege in ministry, a man by the name of Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul says that God has given us blessings richly for the purpose of enjoying it. Think about this. Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden. That garden was not like your garden. That garden's not a five, ten-row garden. If you, you, the, the, the Genesis gives us some measurements, and the way scholars have best figured it out is that the size of the Garden of Eden was probably around the size of Yellowstone National Park, and God gave that to two people for them to enjoy. John chapter 2, Jesus goes to a wedding, and he supplied the wine, sorry, Baptist Church, the sweet tea at that wedding. And people, when they, when they tasted the sweet tea, they said it was the best they ever had. It didn't come from a box. Jesus gave them something to enjoy. Critics of Jesus accused him of being a glutton and a drunk. It wasn't true, but the reason that they said it was because Jesus loved a good buffet. That's a Savior worth following. <laughs> Lord, make me more like you. Amen. In that way. Because Jesus enjoyed those things. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. And he's glorified when we enjoy. That's why Paul said, whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Enjoy it for God has given it for our enjoyment. The example of Jesus was to enjoy the blessings from his father and also to, to share those blessings with others. And so when when we practice generosity, we are following that example. Now, that leads us to, to the third principle. Your generosity, according to what God said through Paul, it includes sharing with others that which God has given to us. Sometimes, God chooses to give us excess. Sometimes God gives significant excess to some people so that those people not just have what they need, they have more than they need. One of the reasons, you ever wonder why God does that? 
one of the reasons that God gives some people excess is because he has cultivated in that person's heart generosity and that person uses their excess to meet the needs of others. He talks about this in chapter 9. Look at chapter 9 and verse 11. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul said, you're going to be enriched in order to be generous. God's going to give you excess in order for you to be generous. Look, I'm a recipient, and I've debated whether or not to, to, to share this, and I'm just going to share it, because whoever's doing it doesn't, I don't know who they are, and they know that I don't know who they are, and you won't know who they are unless you're them. But uh, I've been having issues you know, with my dad since my mom died back in December, going back and forth. And, and going back and forth is not something that, that we've budgeted or anything else. And it's, uh, it's expensive to get back and forth. And, and God's placed it on someone's heart here in our church. I have no idea who they are. But every so often, they'll send me a card. And in their cards, a little something to help with. Those. They have excess, apparently. And God is using their excess to be generous to me, something I do not deserve. They're certainly not obligated, but God's using their excess to be a blessing and a ministry to meet that need in my life. That's what Paul's talking about, is that God has blessed us richly so we can use that for generosity. Now, now Paul uses another example of this. Back in chapter 8, he uses the example of, of manna to illustrate this point. Look back in chapter 8 and verse 13. In chapter 8, verse 13, Paul said, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, look at what he said, as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from when the children of God, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they were, what are we going to have to eat? And God rained down manna. It was like every morning they woke up and Milton Quality Bakery donuts were all over the floor. <laughs> That's roughly the Hebrew translation of that. And they would gather what they, but here's the thing, is that when they gathered, they would always gather enough for what they needed. But the thing about manna, unlike Milton Pauly Bakery Donuts, the thing about manna is that the next day, it was no longer good. A microwave will make those donuts stretch for days at a time, or so I've heard uh, from others. And so they, they couldn't stockpile it because it would ruin. And so if they had enough for the day, more than enough, and they couldn't save it for the future, what were they to do with the extra they had over? They were to share it with other people. They were to use their excess to help those in need. Now look, understand, I'm not saying 
that you don't need to save money. I'm not saying that you don't need to have an emergency fund, etc. You need to do that. What the Bible is teaching us is that you don't need to use every excess that God has given you to fill a toy chest with things that don't really matter. These people were not to put leftover manna in a manna freezer to make manicotti later and to use some for manana bread at some point in the future. That wasn't what they were to do. They were to use what God had given them to be a blessing to others. Think about this. Could it be that one of the reasons God has given you excess in the present is to meet the needs of people right in front of you? Because generosity will always include sharing what God's given you to help someone else. Fourth principle is this. Generosity is a matter of the heart. Okay, it's a matter of the heart. A sermon's not going to change your heart on generosity. Only the Holy Spirit's going to do that. Hammering you and badgering you to make a commitment to Project Reach is not going to change your heart to generosity. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to do that. But only the Holy Spirit can do that. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your possessions. God doesn't need us to be generous for his benefit. God wants to cultivate in us a heart of generosity for our benefit because generosity is a matter of the heart. A heart that is generous is a heart that has been transformed by the giver of the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. This is why Paul will say over in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because the preacher's hammering on it for a couple of weeks, because God loves a cheerful giver. little sidebar note, the Greek word for cheer cheerful in that verse is the word from which we get our English word, hilarious so uh, I've always uh, and I have yet to see it unintentionally after I say this somebody will do it but I've yet to see it unintentionally when the offering plate comes by somebody goes <laughs> and puts their offering in there but not that hilariously God loves this cheerful giver. Why? Because it's a matter of the heart. Here's what we mean when we say generosity is a matter of the heart. Something, someone is at the center of your life. Something or someone is given the first place in your heart, in your life. Because everybody, everybody is looking for something that will give them safety and security and significance. And some people 
look at their possessions for that security. Some people look at their bank account for that significance. Their heart isn't marked by generosity. Jesus told us there is only one place in which we will find security and significance that will last, and that is in a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that no man can serve two masters because he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There is room in your heart for one thing, for one person. And so Jesus says do this instead, Matthew 6, 33. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If your life doesn't reflect generosity, if your heart has no desire to be generous, it would be a good idea to see who or what is sitting on the throne of your heart because generosity is a heart issue. The fifth and final principle Paul gives us is this. Generosity allows our lives to glorify God. Last week, I made the statement that as a follower of Jesus and as a church that belongs to Jesus, our primary obligation is to reach up and glorify God. There are many ways in which we can accomplish that. And two of the most efficient, effective ways is by reaching out to those that don't know Jesus who need to be a part of his family and by reaching in to do good to all those, especially those who are of the household of faith, to to take care of each other. Generosity can be used by God to accomplish those purposes. It's exactly what Paul tells us in chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. He says, for the ministry of this service, this giving generosity, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. No, Make no bones about it. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He says God is glorified when we are generous, which makes sense because generosity is a matter of the heart. The generosity of these believers at this church in Corinth would glorify God because that generosity follows the example of Jesus. We should seek, we should ask God to make us generous people, not out of duty, not out of obligation, or not out of the desire to be known as a generous person, but so that God can be glorified. For you see, the most generous gift that has ever been given was given by a most generous God. That verse that everybody on the planet seems to be able to quote from memory For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his only begotten son. 
for me to stand up here and talk for 20, 30, 40 minutes, however long I've been talking, about generosity without asking you if you have ever received that generous gift. I wouldn't be a good steward if I didn't do that. And I wonder this morning, have you received that gift? Have you benefited from the Father's ultimate act of generosity? If not, that generosity is extended to you right now. He loves you so much that he was generous and he gave. If you have benefited from that generosity, are you asking God to use you as an extension of that grace to others? I mean, I, we certainly want Project Reach to be a part of that generosity, but you need to practice generosity in other areas. And I can think of no better time for you to start being generous or to, to live generously from a generous heart than right now. So I'll challenge you to do something. You can read the challenge in Project Reach, and I want you to read that. But I'm going to challenge you outside of that. This week, I want to challenge you to find someone who needs to see the generous love of Jesus. To wake up every morning and say, God, will you put in front of me someone who needs to see the generous love of Jesus? Who needs to hear about that generous love? And will you keep your eyes open? And will you look for someone that God can use you as a conduit of his grace? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's the only thing that's going to change this world. It doesn't matter who sits in a White House. It doesn't matter what kind of plans are made with education. It doesn't matter what kind of reform we have at the U.S. Treasury. It doesn't matter how much stimulus checks we get in the future. You can't stimulate the grace of God. You can show it. What's going to change this world is the people of God acting like the people of God and finding those who need to see the generosity of Jesus. He's given us so much. Can we give ourselves to him? In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. This altar will be open. This is our time of commitment. I don't know what God has placed upon your heart today, what step you need to take. Whatever step that is, we simply offer this time for you to make that commitment to God who has so graciously given us his grace that we would ask God to show that grace to others. If you've never received that grace and you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to share that with you. Whatever God's placed upon your heart, after I pray and when we sing, would you simply put your yes on the table to whatever table he's put in front of you today. Father God, how thankful we are that you love this world so much that you gave. And Father, I pray now that as we spend these moments thinking about our commitment to you that we would simply say yes to whatever you're calling us to do today in the good name of jesus i pray amen <music>